Hello, and welcome to Ascend. We are pleased that you could join us to hear Professor Martin Abrahamson discuss how clinical practice in type 2 diabetes has evolved and how physicians can adapt. In 2020, the guidelines for the management of people with type 2 diabetes changed quite dramatically. What's led to this change is the number of cardiovascular outcomes trials that are showing cardiovascular benefit with certain classes of medications and also renal protection with certain medications used to treat people with type 2 diabetes. Certain GLP-1 receptor agonists and SGLT2 inhibitors have shown quite clearly that people who have established cardiovascular disease have reduced risk for the development of major adverse cardiovascular events if they take these medications, even in the absence of any change in glycemic control. There's one particular GLP-1 receptor agonist that has now been approved for the primary prevention of cardiovascular disease. So this has led to the fact that guidelines have needed to change to take into account this important information that people need to be aware of. So for example, the previous guidelines said that metformin remains the foundational medication therapy for people with type 2 diabetes. And then the guidelines used to say, if people do not achieve their glycemic goals with metformin, and they have atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, then one should consider using either a GLP-1 receptor agonist or an SGLT2 inhibitor to treat them as the next step of therapy. What's different in 2020? In 2020, the guidelines now say that even if people are at glycemic goal and they're on metformin, but they have established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, one should add either a GLP-1 receptor agonist or an SGLT2 inhibitor to their treatment regimen. Preferably a GLP-1 receptor agonist if they have atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease without heart failure or kidney disease. On the other hand, if they have atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease that is predominantly characterized by congestive heart failure with a reduced ejection fraction or diabetic kidney disease, one should consider using an SGLT2 inhibitor first. The guidelines for people without established cardiovascular disease remain much the same. If you don't have established cardiovascular disease and you're not at goal with metformin, then you need to escalate therapy. And your decision as to which drug to use to escalate therapy is based on a number of important considerations. One, do I want to achieve more weight loss? Two, what's the risk of hypoglycemia? Do I want to reduce the risk of hypoglycemia? Or three, is there cost as an issue that needs to be taken into consideration? Let's look at those briefly. If you want to reduce the risk of weight gain or promote weight loss, then one would choose a GLP-1 receptor agonist or an SGLT2 inhibitor because these drugs promote weight loss or are associated with weight loss. If you want to reduce the risk of hypoglycemia, you could use either of those two classes of drugs or thiazolidinedione or a DPP-4 inhibitor. If cost is an issue, then you have to focus on generics, sulfonylureas, thiazolidinediones, for example. Now, people have said to me, why don't I use DPP-4 inhibitors for 
people with established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. And the reason why we don't recommend those drugs for people with these conditions is because the DPP-4 inhibitors have not been shown to be cardioprotective. Their cardiovascular outcome studies with DPP-4 inhibitors show neutrality. In other words, they're safe, but they don't afford benefit. The other question that I'm asked often is, are all SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 agents the same in their class with regard to cardiovascular benefit? The answer is no, for reasons that are not always entirely understood. The GLP-1 receptor agonists that have shown cardiovascular benefit are liraglutide, semaglutide given subcutaneously, and dulaglutide. The SGLT2 inhibitors that show cardiovascular benefit in people with established cardiovascular disease are empagliflozin and canagliflozin. Let me give you a couple of examples of situations where I have actually changed treatment or changed my approach. I saw a patient, a patient recently who had been on a sulfonylurea and metformin and basal insulin. This individual had developed heart failure with a reduced ejection fraction and had actually been admitted to the emergency room on a number of times with flash pulmonary edema. When he came to see me, we sat down, we looked at his data. His A1C was reasonable, it was at goal. But I said to him, I think it's time to stop the sulfonylurea and use an SGLT2 inhibitor in its place. He agreed, we made the change. Six months later, he had had no further admissions to the emergency room with flash pulmonary edema. Another example is if I see a person now who's on metformin but has established cardiovascular disease, I would add a GLP-1 receptor agonist or an SGLT2 inhibitor, even if the A1C is less than 7% or even 6.5% because of the cardiovascular benefit of these drugs. And then finally, patients who have had episodes of hypoglycemia, particularly elderly individuals. And in those individuals, I recommend strongly stopping sulfonylureas and using other medications, DPP-4 inhibitors, SGLT2 inhibitors, GLP-1 receptor agonists, to reduce the risk of hypoglycemia. Similarly, I use these drugs, particularly GLP-1 receptor agonists and SGLT2 inhibitors, for weight loss in individuals who are overweight or obese wanting to lose weight. So what are the key factors that need to be considered when assessing treatment? Clearly, patient preference is very important. We need to discuss treatment options with patients. We need to engage, engage patients. We need to do what we call shared decision-making. If you share a decision with a patient, you are far more likely to get the patient to adhere to medication. Secondly, you need to look at what's their GFR. Do they have established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or do they have heart failure? And then choose drugs based on those comorbid, comorbid conditions. You need to acknowledge that cost is a major factor in many countries. In fact, in all countries, cost is a factor and this has to be taken into consideration. I've had to stop certain medications in some patients because they can't afford them. So here's an opportunity now for us to further improve outcomes for more people with type 2 diabetes. If they have established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, 
even if they are at goal, and if cost is not the issue, then please consider adding GLP-1 receptor agonist or SGLT2 inhibitor. Many thanks for listening. We hope you found it useful. Please visit www.ascend-diabetes-obesity.com for more practical advice for caring for people with diabetes.